As featured in the November 2023 issue of Men's Health magazine, To Catch a Con Man is the very intimate and detailed true story of exposing one of the most prolific and successful serial con men to operate in the Midwest. A career con man who was able to get away with scamming and stealing in and around the suburbs of Chicago for more than 40 years. What's even more interesting is that he had never been arrested in Illinois for running his scams, some that date as far back as the 1980s. If there is a living devil and evil on this earth, it is him. To Catch a Con Man is brought to you by Studio 847 in Long Grove, Illinois. Could a hundred grand sustain my life? It couldn't even come close. So, so listen to me. If I was going to be in some sort of of con, scam, conniving thing, it'd be for millions. It wouldn't be for $100,000. Listener discretion is advised, as some of this programming contains language and content that might be offensive to some listeners. On the previous episode of To Catch a Con Man, in August of 2018, Adam goes on a stakeout. This time the team is successful as he lies in wait in the Lifetime Fitness parking lot, where he confronts Ricky and asks him for his money back. There is no mistaking that Dugo wants to get into a physical confrontation, but a stroke of good luck helped defuse the situation. Did Adam get the con man to admit the deal went bad? Will Ricky finally return the money he's stolen? Let's see what other scams Dugo was juggling at the same time as Adam's around the summer of 2018. After that, join Adam for a hunt. This is Finding the Whale. Join me on this adventure to catch a con man. This is Adam Albin. It's the early evening of August 21st, 2018. A special Lake County task force and I have just completed two successful overhears. It was a whirlwind of the day, and as I am standing in the parking lot, I am dying to take this wire off. The team is gathering around and starting to ask me questions in a sort of pseudo-like debriefing session. I can tell that they were excited as they were smiling and shaking hands and high-fiving me. Detective Bill Bang is flanked next to a new character I have yet to unlock, one that I hadn't met until now. He introduces me to Detective Tony Thies. Detective Thies has recently earned this position as a special investigator to the Lake County State's Attorney's Office. He was Bill's new partner and peer. He, too, was a man of smaller stature, always dressed in a shirt and tie with a sport coat on. He wore a fedora and large, dark-rimmed glasses, rounding out what I thought was a very cool style and fashion sense. If Joe Pesci had a doppelganger, Detective Tony Thies was him. I shake his hand and welcome him to the team. I asked where he came from, and he replied that he was working at the North Chicago Police Department. I thanked him for his service and said I look forward to working with him in the future. Detective Bill Bang and Attorney Fred Day are asking me for specifics about the conversation I just had in the parking lot of Lifetime Fitness. They wanted to know if Dugo admitted he had my money and were curious if he had committed to giving it back to me. I replied that I was pretty sure Rick had mentioned he had my money, and he definitely said he promised to pay me back. I mentioned that Rick had rounded off the $18,000 in change to $19,000. Detective Bill laughed a little and said flat out to me, Ricky Dugo is never going to pay you a dime back. You know, that would have hurt many people's feelings. For someone like a detective to just straight up dash any hopes of being made whole. But that didn't upset me at all. I wanted someone like Detective Bill to give it to me straight. Do not sugarcoat and don't try to soften the blow. He went on to say that he had heard from more than a few perpetrators in his past make those similar promises. Promises that were made to buy time and extend the misery 
and the suffering. I always appreciated Bill's candor. I found it to be refreshing and usually spot on. It is a really peculiar feeling to secretly record someone in person. And I am comparing the successful over here that was just conducted in the Lifetime parking lot to the secret recording I had set up in my car. In episode three, again titled The Trick, I was just talking to Ricky Dugo in my car on a random road somewhere in Lake County. I didn't have to look at his face. I didn't have to notice little nuances like his veins throbbing and his bloodshot eyes. I was shielded in a sense as he didn't have to see mine. I didn't have to worry about taking one for the team or having to defend myself. I was completely in control and in my own element. In the car, I wasn't obsessing about the adhesive tape that was stuck to my collarbone, having to worry that it was failing. There was no worry that the tiny microphone could be seen through my black polo shirt that I was wearing. But when you wear a wire and you're engaged in a very tense conversation and things are escalating quickly, I am telling you that there's a level of stress that isn't explainable. The advice law enforcement had given me was to be myself and act naturally, which was very standard and generic guidance. The culmination of victims' stories, their incredibly tragic tales, played on repeat and in my mind while I was standing toe-to-toe with this monster in Ricky Dugo. Using their words to give me strength and find courage, there was a certain synergy that came together. You know, it was a really emotional experience preparing to conduct this over here from the beginning to when I was back in my car taking a long, deep breath, trying to find my center. It's called the space between. You find great strength in being told sad stories, and you harness the power inside of you, fighting for them, fighting to right the wrong. I told the team very basic things, as I couldn't remember much of what just went down 45 minutes ago. It was like I was having a mini blackout of sorts, or maybe I had already started to repress what had just transpired. I am not sure if any of you have ever experienced stage fright, where you have rehearsed something so well, it's memorized, and you're prepared for that moment on stage, only to start the scene, and you've completely forgotten what you're saying, and your mind goes completely blank. I'm pretty sure I just had a moment comparable. That was where I was at when the team asked me for details. I simply couldn't remember much of what had just gone down. I remember asking the specialized detective who was responsible for the technology and equipment if he had the ability to download the recording right here, right now. Maybe everyone that was left standing around could hear it play out. But they didn't have that ability from this parking lot. He tells me he will start the download process within the next 24 to 48 hours. And he would be giving Detective Bill and Detective Tony a copy and then sending a copy to ADA Fred Day. Personally, I wanted to hear each and every nook and cranny of that recording as I needed to unlock the repressed memories of that conversation. I wanted validation that we had gotten the goods that day. But the opportunity to listen to the approved recording overhears will not happen in 2018, nor will it happen in 2019, nor will it happen in 2020, nor will it happen in 2021.
Indian summer in the suburbs of Chicago is one of my favorite times of the year, when late summer turns to fall. The mornings are cool and crisp, while the afternoons are still warm and temperatures may rise into the 80s. The trees and bushes are literally exploding with color. You see nature preparing for the long winter hibernation that is blowing our way. The foliage turns from bright forest green to amber yellow to rusty orange and flaming red. It is like the summer season is just trying to hang on for its one last hurrah. It's the part of living in the Midwest that I love the best. After the excitement of the in-person over here in late August of 2018, there seemed like a lull in the action, at least in the sense that I thought it was just a matter of time before Ricky Dugo would be arrested. Detective Bill and I were texting and talking every few days, and with every ask of when it will happen, Bill would say the case was coming together and that they had some more work to do. Hang in there, Adam. We will get him, Adam. It was during this period of time in 2018 that Detective Bill gave me a heads up that he would be retiring at the end of 2019. Not to worry, Adam. We have plenty of time together. And even after I am gone, you will still have Detective Tony Thies. You will be in good hands. Everywhere the investigation took Detective Bill... It also took Detective Tony. They were keeping tabs on his movements, and at the same time, in late 2018, so am I. The Dugos were on the move. If you remember the Greg's Landing neighborhood of Vernon Hills, it's that beautiful master-planned community with an assortment of different-sized homes and townhomes and this wonderful golf course that zigs and zags throughout it. After being evicted out of Faraz's house in the western part of the neighborhood, Ricky and his family end up in a nice high-end townhouse on the east side of Greg's Landing, which was about a mile or so from those neighbors he had just scammed. The address is 1818 Crenshaw Lane, and of course, it is another rental property. What Dugo has never known is how many people outside of law enforcement were keeping tabs on him. I called them spotters. If he was at a new gym, which was happening all the time as most of the North Shore gym peeps had already heard of Dugo, I heard back on where and when and with whom he was working out. If he went to Uncle Julio's or Ellie's Pancake House, I knew what he was eating at the time. It was amazing that there were so many good people in the community finally looking out for one another and looking out for me. This group of spotters would conduct civilian drive-bys of whatever house he was illegally occupying, checking for new vehicles. I would receive messages with pictures of whatever new car the Dugos were driving in. And Rick had more than many. If he was driving a new car or motorcycle, I was sent the details. This team of regular Joes would take a picture of the new car's license plate. They would send that photo to me. I would then forward that picture to one of my confidants, who would have it sent to maybe one of his buddies, who had connections inside of the Illinois Secretary of State's DMV lookup program. The license plate number would kick out the registration information. The registration information would give us the name and address of who the car was registered to, and if there was a loan on the vehicle, whose name and address it was in, and what the amount of the loan was at the time of purchase. Then that buddy would reverse the information back to his buddy, and then my confidant would send it on to me. This whole process was like six degrees of separation, but it was essential as we would turn the information back to Lake County. I would take the vehicle's owner's registration and send it to Bill and text him something like this. 
Dugo has two brand new cars. Attached are pictures and registration. You may want to contact the owner and see what else Dugo is up to, as he was always up to more than just conning a victim for a car. The car was usually his lead into some larger investment opportunity, opening the door for bigger and better scams, in a sense. On many occasions, we were able to collect the information quicker than the Lake County Special Investigators team. Obviously, Detective Bill and Detective Tony had many other cases and responsibilities outside of chasing Ricky Dugo. So as Indian summer turns to fall, and just six months after he took my money, he is back at it again. And this time, he has his eyes set on a monster of an opportunity. But before I tell you about that one, I should probably go back in time a few months prior, back to the day of the recording I conducted from my car, as heard on episode three, The Trick. And in being completely transparent to the listener, you, this discovery came after I listened to that episode, as I never really paid attention to the last part of that conversation. Sometimes we find clues that were always right in front of you. At the end of the audio that was recorded on June 1st, 2018, he says... And you have any questions, Rick, I'm, I'm nervous again, or I heard this, I heard that, please call me, because I will keep you on the, I will never change my number, I'm not going anywhere, I will make sure you know, I'll let you know where I moved, buddy, I'm, I don't think of you as not a friend, these other people, I don't give a shit if they think I'm in Indiana, it makes no difference to me. So you're wondering, what does Indiana have to do with anything? Well, after Rick cons me in March, and I start going on the offensive in May, around the time he went to the Vernon Hills Police Department to tell them someone was pretending to be him and spreading lies about him being a con man, Rick was also up to something else. Ricky Dugo could literally latch on to anyone. And as you will hear in the second season of To Catch a Con Man, victims will tell you in their own voices how he doesn't just stop at conning you. He goes after friends and family you introduced him to. There's a younger woman, a supposed former babysitter of the Dugos, whom has been consistently helping Rick out by buying cars and trucks and renting houses in her name. I need to tread carefully here. So for the purposes of this podcast, we will call her Miss Lebowski. Now, Miss Lebowski, at some point in the spring and summer of 2018, introduced Ricky Dugo to one of her best friends from college, a woman that lives in West Lafayette, Indiana. Miss Lebowski's friend, whom, again, for the purposes of this podcast, will be referred to as Emily. Now, I do not know how Ricky Dugo got her, but there are records in the Tippecanoe County Court System that proves this scam. The scam du jour, meaning the scam of the day that Rick successfully pulled off as he got the babysitter's good friend, Emily, to put an $80,000 Ford F-350 Dually into her name. I have photos of the F-350 Dually parked in front of 1818 Crenshaw Court, which was the townhouse in Vernon Hills. An interesting clue that ties Emily to Dugo is that on the 1818 Crenshaw townhouse credit application that was on file for the lease is that Emily was initially denied approval for that townhouse rental, only for an additional document to be filed to help her secure that loan from the bank. A letter was written on her behalf from a supposed employer that claimed Emily was working at a concrete company and making an additional $8,000 a month in income. This is where things get good. 
You may be wondering where I'm going with all of this, and I understand and would like to have an opportunity to explain what I believe transpired. Emily was a supposed employee at a company that was owned by a man named Jeff Klein. You may know Jeff Klein, the same Jeff Klein that Rick was pretending to be when he was evicted from the Faraz house at 1674 Lock Lane in Vernon Hills. The same company name is used on the credit application to obtain that lease on the house. If we look at 1818 Crenshaw Court, which is the townhouse, there is a case in the Lake County court system for eviction, where once again, the Dugos were living in a house as unknown occupants. I mean, this plays out like a true crime TV show. In case I lost you along the way, let me recap and try to help you understand this part of the story. Dugo's former babysitter introduces Rick to a woman in Lafayette, Indiana, Emily. Emily puts a 2018 Ford F-350 Dually pickup truck in her name for Dugo and then goes on to sign her name on a lease application in Vernon Hills, Illinois. She is denied credit approval on the lease, so Dugo possibly forges a letter of additional income from a concrete company that is owned by the same guy Rick was impersonating to be just a few months prior. This concrete company is owned by Jeff Klein, the same concrete company Jeff Klein owns that Rick was impersonating and pretending to be in the Faraz audio excerpts we played. It begs the question, why does a guy in southern Illinois employ a woman 281 miles away in Lafayette, Indiana, where Emily already had a full-time job as a researcher? Both Emily and Jeff Klein have put fictitious leases in their names, where the Dugos were living in both houses as unknown occupants. This is why law enforcement had such a hard time following the bouncing ball. There is zero relation to Emily and Jeff Klein. The only commonality here is Ricky Dugo. And in the end, both Jeff and Emily end up with summary judgments against them for tens of thousands of dollars. But Ricky didn't just stop there. No, 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 no. That was not enough. He was also introduced to and eventually swindled Emily's grandmother, a 74-year-old woman we will call Rose. He got her for a brand new bright red Nissan GTR. And for those of you that may not know, this is a sports car that costs around $100,000 and is known as Godzilla in the motorsport world. Now, to top off this grandmother purchasing the red Nissan GTR on behalf of Ricky Dugo, Rose also took out a line of credit at a furniture store shortly after the purchase of this GTR. I am going to theorize that once Rick was able to get Rose to put the Nissan GTR in her name, he may have also copied her driver's license number, social security number, and birth date to obtain the furniture store credit card, where he goes on a spending spree at the store buying furniture to outfit that townhouse they just moved to. I have a copy of the furniture store credit application, as well as a copy of the Greg's Landing lease, and the handwriting is identical. Both applications were written in Dugo's handwriting. When I searched her name in the Tippecanoe County's court case system, I found a closed case where Rose was ordered to pay a summary judgment of over $5,000 for the Dugo application fraud. Eventually, in the summer of 2019, the Dugos put an ad on Facebook Marketplace where they sell this furniture for cash. Everything Dugo touches is a scam. Here's the crazy thing. The repo man is still looking for that red Nissan GTR. It is still missing and has never been recovered. And Emily's grandmother may still be paying off the balance on that $100,000 loan. 
I use words like in theory, allegedly, maybe, or in my opinion. They are only to protect myself as no official criminal charges have ever been filed. My confidant and I were able to whiteboard this bizarre triangle. You have multiple jurisdictions spanning over two states. You have fraud occurring over state lines. You have forgery. But again, the issue is that this is a white-collar crime. And this continues to get brushed off as the victim's responsibility, as they just should have known better. The police and authorities like to tell victims, if it is too good to be true, well, it usually is. And that's on you. Lake County did travel to Indiana with the intent to take down their interviews. But neither Emily or Rose would have a word to say to the investigators. They kept quiet and pled the fifth. Let's go back to a few minutes ago. So as Indian summer is turning to fall, and just six months after he took my money, he is back at it again. And this time, he has his eyes set on a monster of an opportunity. It's Wednesday, November 21st, 2018, at 9.02 a.m. I was heading into my office in Lincolnshire and decided I wanted to do a quick drive-by of the 1818 Crenshaw Court address. If I were to guess, I would say that between 2018 and 2019, I may have conducted about 50 different drive-bys where the goal was to see what, if any, new toys Rick was in possession of. If a new car, truck, bike, or boat happened to be in the driveway, I would drive past the townhouse to head towards a place to turn around. I would take out my phone, set it to video, and then I would slow roll at a 5 to 10 mile an hour pace past the residence. On this gray day in November, I wasn't expecting to find anything, but as I'm driving past the townhouse, I see two brand new vehicles in the driveway. And while I don't see Rick outside... I can tell you with 100% he had just scored a monster scam. In the driveway, I see a bright orange lifted Jeep Wrangler Rubicon Unlimited. This isn't your soccer mom run-of-the-mill Jeep Wranglers that you see like 73 times a day, and it seems like more than everybody has one. No, 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 no. This was a completely customized FRC version, which had an expensive $77,000 sticker price. For a Wrangler, right? That's a lot of money. I do the reverse drive-by, and I take a few pictures. I have a crystal clear snapshot of the license plate that was mounted to the front bumper. The Illinois license plate reads B D. 39589. Parked next to it and almost hidden, I spot a brand new black Mercedes S63 AMG sedan. Now, this is a $170,000 car and it is screaming Ricky's name. Ricky liked to park the cars outside in the beginning as a way to display his trophies and to give off a facade of wealth and success. In a few weeks, he will move them inside. And once the real owner of these cars starts to get calls about the payments not coming in, Mr. Repo Man shall start the game of playing cat and mouse in an attempt to recover these cars. Once I get back to the office, I send the pictures of the plate to confidant number two, who sent it to his buddy, who reviewed it and passed it along to the guy that had access to license plate lookups through the Secretary of State's office at the DMV. About two hours later, the process is reversed and my phone vibrates. It's a text and a picture of the registration for that $77,000 orange Jeep Wrangler Unlimited. The document states 
that this vehicle is registered to an older gentleman in his late 70s, and we will call this older man JB. At this point in time, in late November of 2018, JB doesn't know that Rick is going to take him for not only cars, but a whole lot more. From the eventual story I was told by investigators was that JB was introduced to Rick by a set of brothers, and these brothers somehow convinced JB to invest his money with Dugo. The scam? Oh, Slick Rick was back looking for ground-level investors to partner with him on the innovative car wash soap polymer that never existed. Now, JB wasn't of sound mind and body. He was aging, and he was getting frail and forgetful. The score for Rick, $250,000 in cash for JB's investment into this revolutionary soap polymer company that didn't exist. Then Rick went back to JB and asked him to put his name on two new cars for the Dugos to use, since all of his money was tied up in the new company. The Jeep Wrangler and Mercedes S63 AMG sedan were both registered to JB, but they are sitting out in Dugo's driveway. On top of the cash and cars, Dugo also pressed JB to put a rental property in his name, as the Dugos were once again moving as they were getting evicted from the 1818 Crenshaw Court townhouse. And there was this beautiful rental home that he wanted to live in that was just a few blocks away. That home, as you guessed it, was in the beautiful neighborhood of Vernon Hills called Greg's Landing. Shortly after Dugo perpetrates these scams and cons, in the early fall of 2018, JB is stressed out as Rick isn't paying the rent on the house, and he isn't showing any returns with the partnership deal with the soap polymer company. JB suffers a massive stroke and becomes hospitalized. As JB recovers, the calls are coming in from the banks that finance the cars. Dugo, again, has been a very bad boy. He hasn't been paying the loans on the cars, nor the rented house. He hasn't returned any of JB's cash. I mean, why would he? As no one is going to stop this man from living the life that he wants to portray. He's using everyone else's money to do so. He has never been punished for any of these frauds in Illinois. Eventually, JB has one of the brothers that introduced Rick to him go and get the cars back from Rick. And JB asks a friend to help him sell the cars so that he can try to recoup the value and pay the loans off without being so upside down. Now, this particular scam was one that Rick was making out like a bandit. But he had to be careful because when you defraud someone over the age of 60, in Illinois, at a certain loss threshold, it can be potentially charged as a Class X felony. Class X felonies carry the longest prison sentences, from six years to 30 years per count. Dugo may have been feeling the heat of the investigation that was underway. In a bizarre turn of events, in 2019 through 2020, Dugo actually starts to pay JB back for some of what he stole from him. In my opinion, someone may have tipped him off that if he was caught and charged, this particular con could have been one of the most serious potential charges that carried the heaviest sentence. You will hear in the next secret snippet, Ricky Dugo making a deal with JB so that JB does not go to the authorities. How convincing, Ricky Dugo. You know, I don't know what to tell. You know, I don't know what's going on. I'm not there. No, I understand. I'm not concerned, meaning I understand that I'm going to give him the money before um, before that has to happen. I'm going to leave him a message. I'm going to try to call him. He probably won't answer. And I'll leave him a message right now. Yeah, okay. Well, basically, and instead of saying, say your name, Rick Dugo. Well, you used to say John. 
Yeah, well, you know, they're the ones that bought it up to me. Okay. So anyway, talk to them, but make sure you put your white name and, and tell them I got the money. Tell them what you're going to do, okay? I'm going to tell them right now. Yeah. And you have all this attorney's information, but I'm going to call him now, and I'm going to email him now with all your information. Uh-huh. I won't once I get the contract, but I, I gotta get I'm it. Just letting you know what's gonna be in it. I'm not. I understand. I'm not retelling you. I'm just letting you know what's okay. gonna be in the contract. But I like to be able to. I don't want to have to wait till I. I mean, I like to have something in it that we can sell it after in a year. In April of 2019, the homeowner of the house JB leased on behalf of the Dugos started filing the eviction paperwork with the courts. As always, there is a summary judgment against JB for $9,025. If you're interested in hearing another secret snippet of what it's like to engage in a conversation with a complete sociopath like Ricky Dugo, then keep listening in. Here we go. Another secret recording of Ricky Dugo. This one, he's talking to JB. In this recorded conversation, you will hear JB engaging Rick, letting him know in this secret recording that his attorney will be soon sending him kickout papers for eviction. Please enjoy this special segment. cut the recording of this conversation as JB goes into telling the name of one of Dugo's children. Obviously, we can hear Dugo pressing and trying to delay the process and create excuses so that he is not evicted uh, anytime soon. Um, you can hear JB's voice sounding confused and not as sharp uh, definitely not as sharp as Dugo's. Dugo's literally trying to run circles around this old man. I find it to be very sad. At some point after I provided JB's information to the Lake County's investigative team, they met with JB and gave him a heads up about who Ricky Dugo really was and that he most likely had fallen prey to his scams. 
Lake County would eventually decline to bring any charges against Rick in this particular set of scams he had with JB. After JB's stroke, his mind was not as sharp as it had once been, and they had feared he was battling dementia and wouldn't be able to retell or recount his story without being accurate. So again, Dugo gets away with some of these purported scams without ever facing any penalty and or punishment. If there is a living devil and evil on this earth, I implore you, this is him. Just after the successful overhear, around late August of 2018, one of my confidants tells me he has the name of a new victim. For the purposes of this podcast, we will call him Jim. Now, here is where things get interesting. Jim was a guy I remember from my early days at Export Fitness. Jim started attending Export Fitness around 2010. I would see him on most work days. He also preferred working out in the lunchtime hours. He was of decent size and build, strong and serious, as he could easily throw around some heavy weight. Jim was a little older than me, and at some point in 2011, we sparked up a conversation surrounding Porsches. He was driving a Porsche Cayenne. And at the time, I was driving a Porsche Panamera Turbo. We eventually exchanged names. I would call him a gym acquaintance. We weren't close, but we would give each other head nods and chit-chat about cars. On one of those early afternoon workouts in 2012, Ricky Dugo was working out with his crew of Dugo wannabes. And Jim and I were both working out as lone wolves. Jim had approached me and engaged me in a conversation. He was asking me if I knew the really big guy that was working out a few machines over. He was asking me if I knew Ricky Dugo. I said yes. I've been introduced to him. We talk about cars and we shoot the shit every once in a while. Jim asked me if I know what Dugo does for a living. I reply yes. And I retell him of the time Rick and I had that same conversation where Dugo told me in the locker room that he owned six car washes in the city of Chicago, where he flat out told me he made $600,000 a year. Jim goes on to tell me he has always wanted to open a car wash, as he had heard they were businesses that were traditionally cash cows. Jim asked me if I would be able and willing to introduce him to Ricky Dugo. And I said, yes, of course. I remember we walked over to Dugo and his buddies and said, hey, Rick, this is my buddy Jim. He's a good guy, and I think you guys would get along. I never had any issue introducing any of my friends to other friends. It was like networking at the gym. I never thought twice about that day until about 2014. I will come back to that after I tell you the story. My confidant that is telling me I need to find Jim goes on to say that from what he has heard, Ricky Dugo single-handedly drained Jim for everything he had. My confidant goes on saying that the amount Dugo defrauded Jim out of was in the neighborhood of $700,000 in cash. I nearly fell out of my chair. I asked my confidant where Jim is now. He said he had no idea, but after Dugo fucked him over, he lost everything he had and moved out of state, and no one has seen or heard from him since. The story of the con goes something like this. Shortly after I made that introduction in 2012, I would see Rick and Jim working out together. They developed a friendly relationship. As the relationship grew, Ricky Dugo learns that Jim, 
who also was a very successful businessman, was flush with liquid financial assets, and he was looking to start up a new business to develop some new revenue and profit streams. Jim was coming off a divorce, and he had hit a rough patch personally. He was a recovering addict, and he was looking for a financial fresh start. Knowing what I know now, that would be the last thing you would ever want to say to Ricky Dugo. Never say anything about money in front of him. Beginning in January of 2013, Dugo convinced Jim to provide him with money that would be used to invest in several business ventures. Jim gave Dugo money for an investment in a car wash business. Dugo pressed Jim to go in on an electronics investment where he would purchase electronics at a huge discount at Apt Electronics. Sounds familiar, right? Rick doesn't just stop there. He bilks Jim out of more money in a purported soap polymer invention where, as we know now, that company was completely non-existent. But the biggest investment he got Jim for was a brand new car wash idea. Rick Dugo was building a car wash inside of the parking garage of the Trump Tower in Chicago, Illinois. All in with the complex series of scams and cons, Ricky Dugo decimates Jim for over $700,000 in cash. Jim completely cashed out his 401k. He dipped into his children's college funds and cashed those in and gave the money to Dugo for one of those fake business opportunities. All of Jim's attempts to recoup his money went unsuccessful. One of the saddest stories is that Jim had to have back surgery during this time, and he was in the hospital for many days afterwards. Jim was heavily medicated on pain medicine immediately afterwards and was recovering in a bed at the hospital. Ricky goes to the hospital where Jim is completely out of his mind on narcotics to ease the pain and checks him out of the hospital. Rick then drove Jim to the bank and had Jim withdraw cash for Dugo. Dugo takes the cash, drops Jim back off at the hospital, and signs him back in. You will hear all about that in an upcoming Season 2 interview with one of the lead investigators that had said, in his opinion, Rick had completely crossed over the line of taking advantage of someone. It was a new level of how low someone could go to steal money from somebody else. It is a very sad story, as meeting Ricky Dugo single-handedly changed Jim's life forever. Jim was close to being able to retire. He had planned and saved for his kids' college funds. He was a successful guy prior to meeting Dugo. After Rick cleaned him out for nearly everything Jim had saved for himself and his children's future, Jim was left with nothing. He was so financially fucked over, he fell into a deep depression, and it was embarrassing. It strained his relationship with his kids. Jim also introduced his mom and brother to Rick, who also invested their money with Dugo, and as you can guess... He got them as well. Fucking collateral damage. I often think back to a memory I have from 2014 which would have been a year after Ricky Dugo took Jim for everything he had. A lifetime of investments gone. I was working out at lunch one day, and I'm working out using a squat rack. I just ripped off a set, and I had re-racked the bar, and I look over my shoulder. Jim is 100 feet away working out on a cable machine. I can still hear what he shouted towards my direction. 
He is looking really pissed off. And out of nowhere, I hear him say loudly, looking at me, What the fuck are you looking at? I look to my right and to my left, seeing if he is talking to someone that happened to be working out next to me, as I have no idea why he would be shouting anything like that at me. I never knew why he was yelling at me. I just made a face and turned around and completed my set. I remember feeling odd about the situation and encounter. So in late 2018, I finally had figured it out. Once my confidant told me Jim's story, that bizarre outburst instantly popped back into my head. I was the one that introduced Jim to Ricky Dugo in 2012. After Ricky wipes Jim out for everything, in my opinion, Jim's outburst in 2014 was in fact directed towards me. Unbeknownst to me, when Jim yells my way, I have no idea what Dugo has done to Jim. Jim looks at me and potentially thinks since I am the one that made the introduction, again, at Jim's request, that maybe I was in on the deal or part of the scam. That is completely untrue, as if I had known what he had done in 2012 when I introduced him, I never would have been scammed by Dugo in 2018. I need to find Jim. I need to talk to him. But he has left the area, and no one knew where he went. This was a major whale of a Ricky Dugo victim, the largest single victim to this date that we have ever heard of. So I start to look for him. I start to hunt for this whale. I had one distant contact that may have known where he went. A personal trainer from Export used to date Jim, and she was still a trainer there in 2018. I saw her walking in one day while I was walking out. I stopped her and asked her if she still talked to Jim. She said no. He had some really bad things happen to him, and he had to move back to the Carolinas with his mom. I told her I needed to get in touch with him, and if she could tell him that I was looking for him, I would be appreciative. The story goes something like this. She reaches out to him to tell him somebody from Export Fitness wanted to talk to him, but she gave him the wrong name, and Jim didn't recognize it, so he was never able to find me. Hearing this particular story really shook me up. It rocked me to my core. In 2012, I had made that introduction. Up until the late summer of 2018, I had heard of some really large Dugo cons, but nothing I had heard even remotely came close to over $700,000. I was searching for Jim, but not having any luck finding him. Sometimes the world works in mysterious ways. Sometimes life is chock full of randomness and serendipitous moments. It's November of 2018. On a random workday, I get into my car and start the drive over to Export Fitness to get my workout in. I remember feeling tired and my muscles were sore. And when I pulled into the parking lot, I struggled to get out of the car as I just wasn't feeling it today. I had arrived at the gym, but I was struggling to find the strength and courage to walk in and get the workout on. I contemplated returning to the office. But something I used to say to other folks that were interested in working out 
more so advice, popped into my head. I always say the hardest part of going to work out is finding the courage to get into the car and make your way to the gym. Once you get there, the workout is the easy part as you just need to get in there. And I had gotten there. I needed to get out of the car and just go get my workout in. You have heard me say it. Get in, get out, get on with my day. So that is what I did. I got out of the car and I set out to accomplish the goal. I changed in the locker room and head out to the back free weight section of Export Fitness. I don't remember what I was working out on that day. I just remember being in the complex of cable machines. I am mid-rep and I look over at the squat rack that was 20 feet away from me and I notice a guy with a solid build and he looks really familiar. It's been four years since the last time I had seen this guy. I know him and I get this queasy feeling as I approach him, as I have a flashback to the guy looking at me in 2014 and saying, what the fuck are you looking at? It's Jim. He has magically appeared back in my world. I say, hey, Jim, not sure you remember me, but I think that we have a mutual enemy. Does the name Dugo mean anything to you? He stops his rep. He looks at me and says, I remember you, and I hate the motherfucker. I go on to say that I've been looking for him. Are you back living around here? He tells me he happened to just be in the area visiting his kids. He was driving by Export, and then he turned around and just popped back because he really wanted to get in a workout. Completely random. I go on to tell him how I have an open case with Lake County, and I had heard parts and pieces of what Dugo had put him through. I was so excited to have found him, and yet again, so sad that he actually had been taken for over $700,000. I asked Jim if he would be all right if I called the detectives and added him to the list of victims to talk to. He said, for sure, anything he could do to help, as he was still trying to get his life back together, and what Dugo put him through was more than just about the money. At some point in 2014, When Dugo was giving Jim excuses after excuses and the fictitious businesses were not bringing any money in, Jim drove to downtown Chicago to the Trump Towers to see the progress on the indoor parking garage that Dugo claimed they were building and opening soon. Jim drove up and down inside the parking garage. And as you can imagine, That car wash did not exist. It was in that exact moment, Jim said, the bottom completely dropped out and a wave of anxiety and sickness came over him. He realized everything that Dugo had told him and sold him on was one completely massive scam. In the years that have followed, I have talked extensively about the emotional toll it took with Jim. It has been something that he has struggled with to overcome. As Ricky Dugo stole every last penny he had, leaving him so massively wounded and scarred, he wondered if his life was even worth living. I can't imagine what Ricky Dugo had put him through. I can tell you, it was hell. so amazed by our fans' love and support. Thank you for continuing to listen in and take this adventure with us. You just heard Episode 8, Finding the Whale, where a chance encounter helps Adam find the single largest financial loss victim he has heard of yet. 
On the next episode of To Catch a Con Man, a perfect storm was brewing on the horizon, a massive cyclone of sorts that no one would be prepared for. There are so many huge events coming up that may give Ricky Dugo the upper hand. 